welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series 14 and episode 8, The Ascension of Jesus. This is our last episode and we're going to be studying uh, briefly from Luke chapter 24 verses 50 to 53 and ending our studies in Acts 1 verses 1 to 11. It's been an amazing uh, series, series 14, looking at the accounts of the resurrection and I hope that many of you will have joined us in earlier episodes and have uh, got a feeling for the amazing events that took place um, uh, after Easter Sunday when Jesus miraculously rose again from the dead quite suddenly and began to appear to people. I've been saying that there are 10 resurrection appearances identified in the New Testament and we've looked at eight of them. I'll just quickly remind you what those eight appearances are and uh, what significance they had and then we're going to briefly comment on a ninth appearance which is mentioned in passing by Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians and then we're going to focus on the final appearance of Jesus as described at the end of Luke's Gospel and the beginning of Acts. There were five appearances on Easter Sunday and this was the dramatic start to our story as we saw in the earlier episodes of series 14. Mary Magdalene, the women disciples, Simon Peter, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the uh, disciples gathered in the uh, house and in the room in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, five appearances and then a week later the 11 apostles were gathered together and John uh, tells us that uh, Jesus appeared again to them this time including Thomas for the first time and then we have two appearances in Galilee which we've been looking at in recent episodes. First of all in John uh, we find John 21 Jesus appearing by the Sea of Galilee to seven of his disciples and then in the last episode we saw Jesus appearing to the 11 and probably a, a wider gathering of brothers and sisters according to 1 Corinthians 15 uh, on a mountainside and then he gave to his disciples what we've come to, to know as the Great Commission calling them to go and evangelize, preach, baptize, teach and disciple all the nations of the earth. That leads us to two more resurrection appearances. The one that's difficult to place in time is the one mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7. If we go back to verse 6 and quote the verse that we looked at last time, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles and last of all he appeared to me also. So the appearance to James is um, ambiguous in the sense that we don't know exactly when it happens in time. We don't even know exactly who that James is, but it's likely 
that this James is the half-brother of Jesus, who wasn't in the original band of apostles uh, and came to believe in Jesus at around this time and became a pillar of the church, especially became the father figure and an elder in the church in Jerusalem and was probably the author of the book of James. We can find out more about him in the book of Acts, especially chapter 15. There's not much more we can say about that, but we just want to note that particular appearance. But let's turn now back to Luke and Acts. We're going to look at the final few verses of Luke, Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 53, and then we're going to turn over to the book of Acts. Let's remind ourselves, first of all, that Luke and Acts are written by the same author, by Luke, and we've described Luke as an author at the very beginning of series one, and we've found out that he's a careful historian, and we find out later on that he's written two books that are designed to be read together. They're both dedicated to a man called Theophilus. So when we come to the end of Luke 24, uh, we have to connect this directly to Acts chapter 1 because it's uh, two parts of the same story. And what Luke does in Luke 24 verses 50 to 53 is he somewhat compresses the story that he expands in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. Now as we've gone through the Gospels we've noticed sometimes the uh, technique in writing of compressing a narrative, just writing a few headlines and um, just giving us a few outline details but not much uh, substance beyond that. And that's a, that's a literary technique of the time and one that was used, Matthew often uses it for example. But in this case uh, Luke just tells a very outline story here and the reason he does it is that he wants to bring his gospel to a conclusion in a meaningful way for those who are not necessarily going to read the book of Acts immediately. He has just told us about Jesus appearing to the disciples on that Easter Sunday evening in the house with the locked door and uh, we discussed this episode earlier on and discussed all the other people who were present at that time. Then he concludes his gospel with these words. When he, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, you'll probably remember this is a village just a few kilometres outside Jerusalem, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now this enables Luke to finish the story on a really positive note. Uh, Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's left, permanently left his, his people. The resurrection appearances have come to an end and uh, they are filled with joy and return to the city of Jerusalem. That is satisfactory from Luke's point of view in terms of telling the story of Jesus in a gospel. Everything has now been told about Jesus's earthly life. But when he comes to the book of Acts, which we're going to turn to now, Acts 1 verses 1 to 11, 
he has a different focus. Here, Luca is telling the story of the early church. And he's linking the beginning of the early church to the end of the life of Jesus. So it's his purpose here to give a slightly more detailed account of the events just described in the last few verses of Luke 24. So let's read this text. And this is the main one we're going to uh, study in this final episode, because here uh, Luke gives a much fuller description of the final moment of contact between the apostles and Jesus, what took place between them and how that links to the launch of the early church. Let's read the first three verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, this is an interesting summary of everything we've been discussing in series 14, all the resurrection appearances. He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Well, you can see that element in Jesus's resurrection appearances very easily. He's trying to prove to them or demonstrate to them unambiguously that he was alive in a physical sense. I've emphasized uh, frequently the fact that the resurrection is a physical event. This isn't a psychic inner feeling about the presence of somebody. This isn't a dream while you're asleep. This isn't a hallucination. This isn't the appearance of a ghost who doesn't have any physical substance. This is the appearance of a physical man who's died and been raised again from the dead. The physicality is evident in everything that happens, eating, walking, talking, moving around, human touch, the physical signs of his suffering on his body, his hands and his feet with nail marks, his side with a mark of the sword of the Roman soldier. So he gave them in this way many convincing proofs that he was alive in a physical sense. That's really a summary of everything that we've been looking at in series 14. And it says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. About six weeks passed between the day of resurrection, Easter Sunday, and the day of ascension, which we're going to look at in this episode. A six-week period. So that explains how Jesus can start appearing to his disciples in Jerusalem over a period of time, which was at least a week. We know that from John's Gospel and probably longer, slightly longer. They were in Jerusalem together. Then there can be a period of time in Galilee where there are, are two recorded resurrection appearances, one by the lakeside of Galilee, one on a mountainside. And then we finally see Jesus back in Jerusalem and the disciples back in Jerusalem. So this period of 40 days gives enough time for them to spend a little bit of time in Galilee, spend time in Jerusalem on the first occasion and then on the second occasion and also have enough time to travel between 
those two locations which took several days of travel on each occasion. It was a 40-day period approximately. And verse 3 tells us he spoke about the kingdom of God. In other words, he's teaching them how God's kingdom is going to advance in this next phase, the era of the church. We're now moving on in God's salvation purposes. Jesus is going to shortly leave the earth. He's going to give full authority to his disciples, as we saw in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. He's going to send them the Holy Spirit and they're going to advance God's kingdom. He taught them about the kingdom of God. And verse 4 describes one occasion. And this occasion is the last recorded resurrection appearance which takes the number of recorded resurrection appearances to 10. If we gather together all the obvious strands of scripture from the four gospels, from 1 Corinthians 15 and from Acts 1, these are our primary sources that describe these historical events. We have the 10th appearance. Now, of course, there could easily have been many other appearances. Um, he actually says that um, uh, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, which could, could have been many more appearances, but 10 appearances are recorded for us. And this one occasion, verse 4, is the last occasion, as we'll see as we read the text. Let's read verses 4 to 8 of Acts 1. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. He's encouraging them and even commanding them to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. Now already in Luke chapter 24 and uh, verses 45 to 49, we have Jesus uh, giving a similar message. Verse 49, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So this isn't the first time that they have been given this message. They may have been back to Galilee for a period of time, but they're not to do it again. They're to wait in Jerusalem because the gift that God promised is about to be given. This is described as a baptism 
with the Holy Spirit. Jesus compares the coming of the Holy Spirit in this context with baptism in water. Now, baptism in water means complete immersion in water. John took people into the River Jordan and he immersed them completely and they came up the other side. That happened to Jesus as well. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a similar encounter, a powerful encounter of immersion, soaking, dipping, overwhelming, or like the dying of a cloth. A full immersion in God's power. This very same Greek word was used for the dying of cloths in the ancient world, where the cloth was completely submerged in the dye, and it had to be completely submerged, otherwise the dye would not penetrate every part of the cloth. And it's a useful analogy, it's a useful way of thinking about the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about. And it's clear that the coming of the Holy Spirit in special power and commissioning and anointing and empowering is the key that is needed before these disciples can be turned into powerful evangelists who can build the kingdom of God and build the church. They're not yet fully equipped with divine power. They've been equipped with revelation. They've been equipped with the experience of the, of the resurrected Jesus. They've been equipped with teaching about the kingdom of God, but now they need to be equipped with tremendous power that supernatural activity may take place through them as they seek to build the church. It's an exciting passage. But one question is in the minds of the disciples that hasn't quite been answered by Jesus. Then they gathered around him and asked him, verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They've been talking about the kingdom of God. We've seen that in verse 3. And they're trying to work out what is the connection between the coming kingdom of God that Jesus initiated and will develop and the existing nation of Israel. What is that connection? They hadn't quite understood it. Because they knew from their study of the Old Testament and talking to Jesus that Jesus was the successor of King David. He was the son of David, a theme that we've looked at on a number of occasions. He was fulfilling the covenant of David, that God made with David, as recorded in 2 Samuel 7 verses 11 to 16, in which David was promised an eternal dynasty, a permanent kingship. And Jesus, as a biological descendant of David, through his mother, is able to receive that kingship. Now, if he's the king, like David was, is he going to be the king of a geographical Israel? And some people consider this question to be foolish and for Jesus just to dismiss it. But if we look closely at the evidence, we'll see it's not quite as foolish as you may think, because Jesus on a number of occasions has said interesting things to the disciples about Israel. For example, Matthew 19 verse 28, truly I tell you at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We see a similar promise in Luke 22 verse 30. So 
They anticipate that Israel, the Jewish people in the geographical land of Israel, are going to play a part in the kingdom of God. And Jesus does not suggest otherwise. In fact, he suggests that this will definitely be the case in the verses that I have just quoted, Matthew 19, 28, Luke 22, verse 30, if you read them carefully. But that aspect of God working is clearly not going to happen at this particular stage in history. It's somewhere further in future. In fact, one of those verses refers to at the renewal of all things, suggesting that the incorporation of Israel and the Jewish people as a nation into the people of God in the church is something that's going to happen much further down the line because at this particular point they have largely rejected Jesus as the Messiah from their leaders downwards and we've emphasized this theme time and again as we've been teaching because that's exactly how the Gospels present it to us time and again. So Jesus doesn't dismiss the question and say it's irrelevant, but he does say it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, the mystery of where Israel will fit into the kingdom of God uh, is not being fully revealed to them. Their priority at that time is different. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They're going to start in Jerusalem and they're going to spread out. And the focus is being going to be all the nations of the earth. We saw this very clearly in Matthew 28 verses 16 to 20, where they're going to reach out to all the nations. The focus now is to go from Israel to the nations. But the implication of Jesus's earlier Words to them, as I recounted earlier on with those quotations from Matthew and Luke, is that there is going to come a time when the Jewish people in as a national unit and as an ethnic unit are going to be brought back and uh, come fully into God's kingdom and become believers in the Jewish Messiah. This theme is taken up by Paul in Romans 11 and this is way beyond our study in the Gospels but I'll give you the reference that in Romans 11 verses 25 uh, onwards to verse 32 we see clearly a prophetic indication that at some future time Israel as a nation that the generality of the nation are going to experience salvation however that's not the focus of this time. It's not the focus of the responsibility of the apostles. They'll start in Jerusalem, they'll go to Judea, but it won't be long before they're in Samaria, in uh, semi-Gentile territory, and then they're going to go to the ends of the earth. Then in the final verses, we have the story of the ascension of Jesus. Verses 9 to 11. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way 
you have seen him go into heaven. Now, this is a physical event taking place near Jerusalem. Luke 24 describes it as um, in the area of Bethany. And the Mount of Olives is in that area. And uh, this physical event is literally Jesus uh, leaving the earth and allowing himself to be seen rising up from the earth physically. The men dressed in white are angels. The cloud into which Jesus disappears is, is, not, is not a natural cloud. This is a representation of the glory of God, which is often described in the Old Testament as a cloud. As, for example, when the tabernacle is set up in Exodus 40 and the cloud of God, the glory of God comes over the tabernacle. So God's glory is revealed and the angels say that this Jesus who's been taken up in glory is going to return in glory to the earth sometime in the future. There's going to be a second coming of Jesus. Well, this merely reiterates what Jesus very clearly has taught uh, in a number of different places, most notably in Matthew 24 and parallel passages in Luke 21 and Mark 13. And so this brings us to the end of the story. There will be no more resurrection appearances in the normal sense of the word. There'll be visions which will look like resurrection, but Jesus himself has departed the earth. The, the apostles are not going to see him again as they've been seeing him during those 40 days, that six-week period. So now we have concluded our description of the 10 clearly stated resurrection appearances to Mary Magdalene, to the women by the tomb, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to Simon Peter on Easter Sunday, to the disciples on Easter Sunday evening, to the same dissimilar group of disciples again a week later, including Thomas to a group of seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee, to the 11 plus a great crowd on the mountainside in Galilee with a great commission, and then an appearance to James as recorded in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7, and then a final appearance to the apostles here and uh, a departure by ascension into heaven. This is the Great Commission all over again. My final reflections will be that what's stated in Matthew 28 verses 16 to 20 is restated here just a little bit later. In Matthew, the commission was given while Jesus was on a mountainside in Jerusalem. And here the commission is given as, Je as Jesus is just outside the city of Jerusalem, probably on the Mount of Olives. The Great Commission has been given. The gospel must go to every nation and culture. This is the heart of our project. This is the reason that we have brought you this teaching over 14 series and 184 episodes. We've traced the story from beginning to end of the life of Jesus, the wonderful story of Jesus, so that you can learn from it, so that you can find faith through it, 
so your faith can grow from it. And if you're a church leader, so that you can find resources to help your people. And these resources have been given to you and brought to you free of charge so that this gospel will continue to spread throughout this world to all ethnic groups, to all nations. And a final reflection is this. As we think of Jesus now, it's good to have vivid images of him walking the roads of Galilee, travelling to Jerusalem in his earthly suffering on the cross and his resurrection and his miracles and in his teaching. It's good that we focus on these things. But Jesus today is not in Galilee, he's not in Israel, he's not in Jerusalem. He sent his Holy Spirit who's operating all over the world. The Holy Spirit lives in the life of every true believer. But he himself is exalted in a place of great honour, authority and power in heaven. Hebrews 1 verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And that's where Jesus is today, at the right hand of his Father, a place of authority in heaven. Philippians 2, 6 to 11, an early Christian poem or hymn that Paul quotes. And with this, we will end. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.